It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. What's up, everybody? This is your host, Adam Force. Welcome to the show. Um, we've got a very special guest today. Um, also a, a Skull Award winner for social entrepreneurship. His name is Chuck Slaughter, and he's the founder of a company called Living Goods. And this is not Chuck's first company. Uh, since attending Yale, he's had bicycle companies, travel companies. Um, so he is a serial entrepreneur, as they say. And now with Living Goods, this is the one that sticks because... He's always wanted something that had social impact. This has been, you know, where he's been trying to navigate throughout his life one step at a time here. Um, so finally, Living Goods came to him in his aha moment. We'll tap into how that happened. Um, but they're having an incredible impact, okay? So Living Goods is essentially like, you know, the best way to describe it is like Avon, but for health products in developing countries. Um, and, you know, just to give you a sense of what they're doing with the, the health um, space in these areas is they've reduced drug prices by 17% at clinics for people. And they've also reduced the supply of fake drugs by 50%. And last but not least, they've reduced under five uh, mortality, uh, they re reduced the under five mortality rate by 25% uh, for less than $2 per person per year. I mean, the numbers are incredible and the work they're doing is incredible. They're employing people, they're developing in the economy, um, it's, it's really impactful. So we're going to dive into just how he's doing that, the strategies behind it, and all the juicy uh, tips that he has. So guys, uh, this is on the new platform for the magazine. We hope you're loving the experience. Um, keep the feedback coming. Please stop by the App Store. Let us know what you think. Uh, we want to hear from you. Or just stop by our website at changecreatormag.com. Go over to that contact form. And shoot us a note. Uh, last but not least, guys, we are looking and eager to have you collaborate with us. So if you want to stop by our site, we have a section called Write for Us. And you've got the blog. you got the magazine. Show us your vision. Share your ideas. Um, we're all in this together. We want to hear from you. And we want to share your story. So uh, don't be shy. Um, all right, guys, let's dive into this conversation with Chuck. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Chuck, thanks so much for joining the Change Creator Podcast Show. Um, how's everything going today? Terrific. Delighted to be here. Awesome. Well, we are excited to find out more about your organization. Um, you guys are doing some just amazing stuff. And I, I actually want to tee up this conversation with some of your, your stats that I saw on your website. And let me know if these are still most current or if you have anything else more current. But what you guys are doing, and then you could tell us a little bit more about what it is that you're actually doing. But I want to share these stats. And that is, <clears throat> you guys did a randomized evaluation, which is a gold standard in evaluation design. So recently that was completed. I guess it's a three-year independent study. And you guys, it found that you guys are reducing the under five mortality by over 25% with your, your organization. And it also showed that drug prices fell 17% at clinics and drug shops near where Living Goods operates. And the fake drugs fell by 50%, which is suggesting positive competitive pressure. I love that you guys have that stuff there, and it really shows the amazing progress that is taking place. So 
if you can now just tell the readers, let's back into that a little bit. Just tell us what is it that you're doing that is getting these kinds of results? So um, Living Goods is uh, an effort to bring the best of the private sector and the public sector together to dramatically reduce deaths of children in the developing world in places where we work like Uganda, Kenya, Zambia, Myanmar. Um, And so uh, what Living Goods is in a sense is sort of a modern version of of the Avon or Amway model applied to the most pressing social needs in in Mm -hmm. the places I just So we support networks of uh, community-based entrepreneurs, um, sort of health entrepreneurs, if you will, who go door to door, uh, teaching families how to improve their health, um, and then making a living by selling high impact, low cost products like simple treatments for malaria and diarrhea, um, healthy fortified foods, solar lights, uh, family planning products, um, and so forth. And so it's a way to make it for these women in their communities, both to make a difference and to make a living at the same time. I love that. And, and, and where do the products come from? Um, well, all over. Whenever possible, we try to source uh, locally, and more and more our products are designed, developed, and sourced uh, locally. Occasionally, we have to import uh, when you have, for example, a pharmaceutical product that's not manufactured in country. Right. Um, and increasingly, we are designing and developing our own products under our own brand. So we have uh, our most successful line is a line of, of fortified foods. Okay. Um, uh, these are for from six to six months to two years old. Uh, what many people don't know is that um, uh, nearly a third of children in sub-Saharan Africa are stunted, which of course leads to a lifetime of underperformance in school, in income generation, and so forth. Um, and the solution to this is actually very simple. It's, they're they're not getting enough basic vitamins uh, when they're very little. And so we developed a, a Living Goods branded fortified uh, weaning porridge specifically to address this problem. It's now our number one product. Mm. Um, and we've added a range of other products around it. But wherever possible, we try to create products that are tailored to the local market, um, designed locally, um, manufactured and packaged and branded locally. That's amazing. So, so I'm going to back it up a little bit and just kind of de- deconstruct this now that we understand the scope of what you're doing. Um, what I guess kind of, you know, brought you to the idea of this organization and um, gave you the, the the passion to pursue such a big a big um, challenge that that's being um, you know faced right here with with Living Goods. So, what got you there? Well, I'll flatter you for a moment by saying that my original step into the social sector was sparked by reading a story in a newspaper. Wonderful. Um, And this goes uh, 30 years ago. I read a story about uh, a group working in the microfinance space, um, and I was just out of college at the time, and um, uh, literally dropped what I was doing and went to go work for this organization that I'd read about. Wow. Uh, flash, flash forward uh, 10 years later, I'd gone to business school. Uh, so I went to work for this organization. I went back. I got a business degree. I uh, then started my own company called Travelsmith. And I had the good luck and good fortune to sell my company about 10 years ago. Um, 
And really, it was with the desire to get back into the social sector. And what 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 has always uh, animated me, what's what what gets my motor running, is the idea of using um, you know, tools of business to solve big, hairy social problems. Um, and that's, I think, what the spirit of microfinance is about. And shortly after I sold my company. Um, I was introduced by a friend who, who had also sold a business, interestingly enough, um, to um, a nonprofit that was running a chain of for-profit drug shops and clinics in Africa. Uh, it was an, an effort to use this sort of a franchising business model to improve access to medicines for places and people who, who, who need, it, need it most. And uh, this seemed to bring together what I thought was this powerful idea of using business to solve social problems, yeah. um, along with this really powerful need in healthcare for the poor. Um, and 10 years ago, bear in mind, this was just when the Gates Foundation was just getting ramped up and and illuminating for the world, both you know the size of the problem and the opportunity in public health. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, I... Um, I, you know, again, it was my, my experience in life is that um, opportunities happen um, when, you know, when your interest meets some moment of chance. <laughs> it's really the thing you planned. And, and so um, uh, I met this guy at literally having a beer at a party. And next thing you know, my wife and I are funders of this thing. And I got involved as a board member. Um, uh, and then. Uh, stepped in to help uh, help run it, and um, the moment of inspiration for Living Goods came when I was helping run this franchised healthcare network in Kenya ten years ago, okay. and observed that um, these little drug shops and clinics had owners who were sitting around a lot of the day um, waiting for sick people to show up <laughs> um, and sort of idly drinking paper. And I thought, and, and, and they had the problem, they weren't nearly as profitable as they could be, and many of them weren't making money at all. Right. And uh, the idea we, we set on was, let's get you out of your store and into the community. Um, uh, and so we arranged opportunities for these store owners to go to schools and to go door to door, um, to start talking to people about their health and promoting their products and as opposed to just you know being in the sick care business truly really trying to be in the healthcare business right right uh, and lo and behold it really worked and so at that moment i stopped and said wait a minute you know what if you got rid of the storefront and just did the door to door piece yeah might that not a lot cheaper, faster, and more effective if, in fact, that's where these uh, store owners are starting to make their money. Right. And then um, I'm like, hold the phone. <laughs> Hasn't somebody figured out the door thing? I can't be the first person to have thought of this. And, of course, um, you, you know, your mind turns towards Avon and Amway and Tupperware um, and these companies uh, that, you know, that have sort of perfected the art of person-to-person -person selling. Yeah, and um, there's a really interesting backstory I came across in, in doing my homework about this, which is that Avon, very few people know this, was founded in this country in the 19th century, like in the 1870s. And um, uh, what was it like in the 1870s? Well, it was mostly rural. 
you had women who needed a source of income, but there wasn't much of a uh, employment economy. You couldn't go down to Walmart or 7-Eleven and get a job. Right. And there was poor, poor access to quality products in these rural communities. Um, and geez, doesn't that sound a lot like the conditions we find um, in some of these hard to reach places in Africa today? And flash forward 100 years, uh, and where is it, you know, where is this industry now? The direct selling, door-to-door direct selling industry is 100. $160 billion industry. It's growing faster than the big package consumer good businesses like, like uh, Procter & Gamble and Unilever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and Avon itself is a $10 billion business with 5 million distributors. And it works across every conceivable geography, political structure, you know, and, and cultural context. Sure. And so... And, it, and they sell purely discretionary products. Yeah. So imagine the power of applying that business model to selling things that people actually need. Yeah. And that, <laughs> right. that was, that collectively was sort of the, the moment of inspiration that, that launched Living Goods. Well, and that removed the challenge too, right? I guess part of what I read was the challenge is people, it's very difficult for them to get out and it's actually more expensive for them to, to travel and do those things. Uh, so going to the door makes their life much easier as well on top of just being a more affordable solution. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the modern ways of selling from, from, these, from, from Avon all the way up to Amazon are built, are driven by convenience. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's just as true for our poor customers in rural Uganda as it is for people buying on Amazon Prime yep. um, here, in the, here in the Bay Area. Makes sense. Uh, we like to say at, at Living Goods, our, um, uh, our service is actually cheaper than free. Um, many of these people can go to a public facility and get some of these medicines for free, but it can take them a half a day to get there, and they can spend a couple of dollars in transport to get there. Exactly. Yeah. Compared to um, what we provide, which is a treatment for malaria or pneumonia that costs 50 cents so that we bring to your door when you call us on your mobile phone. Right. And, and how are the people um, getting around that are delivering the service? Do they have a motorcycle or like, how are they getting around? Um, you know, um, almost entirely on foot. So we, we recruit people, women who live and work in the communities they serve. So they're, they're typically helping and serving about 100 to 200 households, and they're almost always within walking distance. Gotcha. Occasionally, they'll use a bike, um, although they use uh, the local version of Uber, which are called uh, Boda Bodas, little motorcycles that will take you right. from here to there. Right. Now, you, I see you're at .org. Are, 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 I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not clear if you're a for-profit or non-profit. We're, we're legally set up as a non-profit, but we use a business model. Okay. Okay. That, so can so we have? We okay, have, I got gotcha. you. Almost like a hybrid. Yeah, it's, a, it's very much a hybrid. And so, from a financial point of view, that means we have an earned income stream. Yes. The you know we we generate revenues from selling products to our agents, who then sell them to their customers. Right. Um, and uh, it's it is a dramatically more cost-effective solution than the typical sort of public se sector solution, where people are salaried and where the drugs are free, we're providing a better service with greater impact at a fraction of the cost. Yeah, I mean, it sounds great. And I, I guess I really want to know, when I, when I think about this type of challenge that you guys are tackling, um, and you had this aha moment for the model, I guess you could say, of this Living Goods uh, brand, how did you start 
bringing the idea to life? I mean, where does where do you start for? I mean, now you're making your own products. I mean, that's that's years down the road. I have to imagine after you've got you know revenue in the door, and that's a big process. What's the actual initial steps of you know where you did you create business plans? Did you write a vision? Like, how did you start organizing your thoughts and actually start getting this to happen? Well, you know, it's, it wasn't unlike starting my, my company, uh, Travelsmith. Um, okay. You know, first you have to do, obviously, first you have to do your homework. You have to really study your potential markets. You know, I, I you know, researched, you know, what were the principal causes of child mortality, try to focus on the, on the, uh, the diseases and conditions that have, would have the highest impact at the lowest cost. Yeah. Um, I did an exhaustive, you know, exhaustive scan um, of of countries that we might want to operate on, looking at a sort of developed a, a screen, looking at local conditions that would be most conducive. Yep. Um, also looking at things like market need and population density and income per capita and spending per capita, you know, political stability, all these sorts of things. So we screened probably twenty countries and narrowed it down to three or four. Um, and um, uh, uh, I think one sort of kernel of advice I would give your, your readers um, that, that I took away from starting my company was in developing the startup plan, um, you know, what I always try to do when I'm doing a startup is develop this sort of uh, a strategy for going out and test marketing your business concept in a way that you can generate the greatest amount of learnings in the least amount of time and spending the least amount of money. <laughs> because whatever you put on paper, as you know, as everybody knows, no business plan and no battle plan survives the first contact with the real world. Um, and so, you know, you know, the time you're going to be learning the fastest is in your first moments of, of life. And so the trick is to learn quickly, to learn cheaply. And so what, whatever you're thinking about starting, think about your first three months to six months as being the fastest learning period. And how do you learn the most by while investing the least? Yeah. Yeah. Um, does that mean going like, what does that, ha what does that mean exactly though? Like, what does that mean going out and like talking to your, you know, who you think your market is and trying to get an idea for, um, you know, if, if your product is going to be well received, like how do you approach that? Well, I'm, um, so on the one hand, I like doing cheap research, you know, tapping into the vast amount of information you can find online these mm -hmm. days. On the other hand, I don't. I think you can also over research and yeah, most you know, particularly for introducing a, a product or service that is new or different, you can't really get an answer about whether it's going to work by asking people. Right. The only way you're going to know if it works is if you actually offer it to them. Um, and and so um, going back to my previous point, you know, what we did was we set up we set up operations as quickly as we could, and one. Um, uh, and the idea was to do it at just a large enough scale to get a reliable answer, you know, but not so large a scale that we're spending, spending too much money. So we, uh, gotcha. one of the, uh, one of the big themes, and again, that applied both to my business Travelsmith and to Living Goods is, um, it is the theme of using partnerships to your advantage. Sure. At Travelsmith, which was a travel clothing and gear company, we, uh, we had a several marketing channels, but one of our most profitable was marketing in partnership with um, the best travel companies in the world, particularly the high-end 
active adventure travel companies okay. who would mail our, at that time, a paper catalog. This goes back a while. Um, in a pre-departure, in a, in a sort of pre-trip kit to, to their customers. So we were getting a ride, a, sort of a free ride-along on marketing that they were already doing. Um, and that proved to be a very symbiotic, powerful marketing, um, uh, partner marketing strategy. Okay. Um, and simply living goods, you know, part of our founding strategy and vision for this was that we wanted to create a model that could could really transform the way the poorest people access healthcare in a way that really saves children's lives. Yeah. In a financial viable way and we wanted we we never thought we would just try to do this ourselves and on a on a modest scale the goal was always to create something that would be disruptive and viral in the in the positive sense yeah and um uh so we we start at our very beginning we looked for partners who could be sort of our operating slash marketing partners and we went we we went out and convinced you know the best you know, nonprofit and for-profit um, entities working in these uh, in these communities. We ended up doing uh, um, a, an initial partnership that allowed us to test this idea using somebody else's boots on the ground. Gotcha. We worked with an organization who we still partner with ten years later called BRAC, which is one of the most phenomenal NGOs in the world. It's founded in Bangladesh uh, uh, forty years. Um, and we were frankly. We're a bit lucky that Bracket was setting up operations in Uganda at the same time we were. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's that. I like that. That's actually a lot of good clarity on on testing the market and, and doing it kind of like a lean approach, but just do enough to get statistically relevant feedback. Um, and I love the idea of partnerships. I always believe in the in the the you know you, you don't have to go do this alone, right? So the more you can work with people, network, and all those types of things, it can make it uh, make life much easier. That's pretty, I've learned that over the past couple of years. <laughs> um, I guess during and those times, would, what's that, Chuck? I was just gonna, I, I'm going to add another thing which yeah. about partnership. Which is that sure. We the original idea was to find partners who had existing footprint that we could leverage. You know, that help us avoid a lot of capital investment. Yeah. Um, but what happens in all great partnerships is that you end up looking for something, and you often find that you get something greater than you were originally looking for. Yes. And in the case of this collaboration with Brack, this has ended up being a really powerful mutual learning collaboration over nearly a decade. Um, and, you know, this is an organization that has 40 years of history in doing healthcare, microfinance, social businesses of all kinds. And not only did they provide a terrific distribution platform uh, for us, but they've been a great uh, source of learning as well. That's amazing. And I don't know how much detail you want to give me, but I'm just curious, you know, if they're doing stuff and they have boots on the ground already that you were able to leverage, um, were you not stepping on their toes business-wise? Why were they open to, you know, letting you leverage their uh, model that's already in place? Uh, was there a profit share there or anything to make that partnership work? Um, well, we, first of all, we had very aligned interests. We had, right. you know, very mission and reason for being. Um, uh, and like all good partnerships, each side brings something of value to the to the table. Different different aspects of value. They had an existing footprint, but we brought a uh, you know a new updated business model that had the potential to make them more efficient and, and more impactful. Gotcha. Um, so we brought 
teas. We brought people, and we also brought money. Um, so <laughs> yeah. we uh, that never hurts. No, no, that's good. Um, this has grown to be an immensely successful partnership. And um, but the other interesting piece, I don't know if this is where you were headed, Adam, is very quickly we decided we couldn't implement this business just through partnerships. We had to have our own direct, directly operated network as well. Right. Uh, because you know when you're working, when you're partnering with a really big organization like Brass, they have a hundred thousand employees. Wow. Um, you get the advantage of an access to their networks and their footprint. But they can also be large organizations have a tendency to be slow and to be, you know, a bit um, hidebound. And so we really found very quickly that we needed to build our own networks to to generate that speed of learning that's critical to um, continuously improve your business model. Sure, sure. And so were you, I guess, going out and communicating with people in different in different communities to um, talk about what you're doing and, I guess, onboard, um, you know, these uh, women who are willing to become entrepreneurs? Um, yeah, I mean, part of the sort of central piece of the model is figuring out how to recruit the best people. Yeah, yeah. And so that, and that's a piece that, that there's been a just so much learnings on over the years, but uh, um, to your point, it starts at the community level. And um, you know, the thing I always comment about Avon um, uh, that we tried to learn from, sure, is that it's really it was really the original social networking business. Um, and I'd add one advantage that Avon had over uh, Twitter and Facebook. Facebook is that they they really focused on monetization from day one. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what what makes person-to-person um, -person selling is networks. You know, they say retail is about location, location, location. Well, Amway and Navon are about relationships and networks, um, and uh, and uh, that's that's a key piece that we learn from. And so, what we invested in first was building our relationships and our networks in the communities we're gonna serve, tapping into local leaders, um, to the networks of other businesses and local um, nonprofits. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and when you were starting all this, um, were you flying solo or did you have co-founders? Uh, how many people were on, on the team at the start? Um, so the research phase, it was just myself. Yep, okay. Um, and, um, uh, to, you know, to, to, very good question. To get the pilot started with through this partnership, yeah. um, initially, I only had to hire one person. So, I, I'm, of course, bear in mind that we have a big distance challenge here, too. Yeah. I live in San Francisco, and we were starting this in Uganda. Right. Um, uh, and um, so, I hired, I found a really exceptional local person who became my key operator manager on the ground in Uganda who coordinated this partnership there um, and um, you know in six months with one full-time employee we learned enough to knew to know that we had something cool okay so then what I guess as you guys got off the ground you got your first hire you see things are you know they're becoming real um, 
I'm just curious, you know, we all come across, there's so many variables that come into play when you're, you're operating any business, you know, if you're talking to the people the right way, if you got the right, you know, product design, the, good, the right market fit, all these different things. Um, and every business is different, um, depending on what you're doing, obviously. So what was maybe a big challenge or two that you came across that, um, you know, took time for you to overcome anything that stands out to you that that was a struggle? Um, well, one is you know, just related to what I mentioned a moment ago, which is that we had hoped that we could, you know, do this as a pure franchise, if you will, from the beginning yeah. and just have, have partner organizations as implementers. And six months into it, it became clear that, that we couldn't do that. And if you think about how most great franchises start, whether it was McDonald's or service or whoever, you start by developing your business and refining first, controlling all of the levers. And then you go out to try to find other investors and, and, and business owners to, to, to franchise it and replicate it. Yeah. And so after six months, we realized we really had to build our own network and use that to, to refine and improve the model ourselves. And so that, of course, entailed a big step up in investment and, um, and effort on our, on our part. But by then, we knew we had something. And so... It was actually easier to go out to um, investors um, and you know grant makers um, and um, uh, get the money to take it to take it to the next level. And it didn't hurt, uh, you know. Look, it didn't hurt that I already had a significant business success under my belt. Yeah, that made it quite a bit easier to go out and you know find the the money and the talent to take the thing to the next step. And yeah, I mean, that is a big plus for sure. I mean, I think a big um, challenge for a lot of social entrepreneurs is the funding. I also have um, connections and partner up with the Amani Institute in Nairobi, Kenya, and that is a school for social entrepreneurship. And just hearing from their students and alumni, and, uh, funding is always a top uh, concern for people, uh, especially in a lot of those areas. They just, they need ways to, to get the dollars behind what they're doing. So they're always looking for insights on you know how to get that funding and you know how other people are doing it so I always try to to dive into those areas um, but it never you know and I also find it interesting that you had a, a business prior to this and some of the practices that you used where it was more of an economic uh, entrepreneurship role versus social um, still applied here just the intentions and direction of living goods is different uh, meaning you're going after a marginalized population and bringing um, you know, addressing a real social challenge. Yeah, yeah. So um, what? I, I think a mistake people often make is thinking that the basic skills and strategies for how you run a great nonprofit, you know, social enterprise, that they're very different from what you would be doing in a for-profit. That's just, in my experience, that's really not the case. It's the same, the same, you know, it's the same best practices, knowledge, know-how, you know, um, that that uh, drive uh, all sectors, really all sectors. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that makes sense. I guess the only difference between the nonprofit and for-profit is that you're instead of going after government and grants, you're you have a, a, a model for fund for your own funding. Yeah, one thing that w I will say on the financial side, one thing that we've done, which is. Um, uh, which is fairly unique in the nonprofit world, is that we raise money in very much in a for-profit way. So we don't we don't go out and do galas and events and 
you know, and write direct mail appeals and, and do that kind of thing. We, what we did for this was we wrote a business plan. Um, and, uh, and by the way, nor did we go out and try to apply for grants, you know, from like operating foundations. We wrote a business plan, you know, we identified a market, created innovative solution, and we wrote a plan and we brought this to like-minded um, investors, you know, these are, you know, investors are going to make a philanthropic investment, but almost all of whom came from the for-profit world. Okay. So these are successful entrepreneurs themselves um, who, who, like us, saw the power of using the tools of business um, uh, to address social problems um, and who we asked to make large, large financial commitments of, uh, you know, $100,000 and $200,000 and up. Um, and all of whom agreed to, you know, to form the business plan and not try to do sort of restricted, oh, geez, I'm just going to fund, you know, uh, this two districts in this country, or I'm just going to fund product development. You know, people, you know, when funds a new venture that way, <laughs> and we don't think. <laughs> yeah, fun makes sense. Makes sense. So what's next for Living Goods, I guess? What are your, what's in your sights for, you know, the next uh, three to five years with your vision for, I guess, scaling up more or expanding? What, what, what should we look for here? So we're, you know, we're very lucky. We've gotten to, um, as you pointed out at the top, we have proof that this thing saves lives. Yep. Um, and just as importantly, um, We've demonstrated it's very economically efficient because of the hybrid model that generates um, uh, income that covers 100% of the cost of the products that pays for, for these uh, health entrepreneurs. The net cost to a philanthropist or to a government is less than $2 a year per capita. Yeah. Um, that is just an insane value proposition in public health for yeah, any it's big. foundation or, or government. You know, we spend 7000 dollars a year per person on health care in this country um, and we're saying for two bucks per capita we can take you know an enormous bite out of out of the mortality rate for the most vulnerable populations in the world um, so we have a compelling value proposition on the base of those things we've been growing this very rapidly and uh, we've now got it to a place of reaching over five million people that's comparable to the entire country of Norway or Ireland or Liberia. Yeah. But the, what does the future hold? We want to grow this to national scale in multiple countries. Um, and uh, there are two or three big things that are going to be necessary for us to get there. Um, um, one of them is a deeper collaboration with, with governments themselves. We see governments as both a partner and a potential um, funder. Yep. You know, in this country, half of healthcare um, is paid for by the government in one way or another, and, and where we work, it should be no different. Sure. Um, um, uh, two is, I think we need to get smarter about how we, um, about how we finance, and so um, how, we, how we use money that comes from philanthropy and from government, and so one of the big things we're working on um, is uh, uh, an approach we call pay for results or pay for performance. Um, so our organization is all built on pay for results. So our, our health entrepreneurs and our staff all have their compensation directly based on the results they deliver every week. Sure. Yeah. Now we think the organization should be funded the same way. Okay. And so we're reaching out to 
seek to you uh, to talk to the next sort of generation of philanthropists um, and government funders to to give them an opportunity to to invest in scaling this in a way that they only pay if it works. Right, right. Um, it's, it'd be like you able to buy Apple stock after you you know uh, for for the. Uh, uh, IPO price, but only after you knew it was going to be 20x. <laughs> um, uh, so it's t- it takes the executional risk out, if you will. So yeah. in, in innovation and finance is a big piece. One piece we didn't talk about is technology. Um, and uh, when we started 10 years ago, technology was minimal in this uh, business model. Yeah. Then two years ago, we took the decision to put an Android phone in the hand of every one of these entrepreneurs. Right, right. Uh, which was possible because in that 10-year period, the, the cell networks and the penetration of ordinary, sort of simple um, uh, mobile phones had gone from 20% to 80%. Um, and um, we, so we, we took the decision to put an Android phone in the hand of every entrepreneur. We built them a custom living goods app that automates how they do their diagnosis, that enables them to track every customer, and enables us to track the performance of every agent. Yeah. And this has been absolutely transformative. It's It has you know tripled the speed at which we can do performance management. Um, it's dramatically improved the quality of the work, the accuracy of the data. Um, and going forward, I think just like so many other industries, I think mobile technology is going to continue to disrupt in a positive way how we deliver healthcare. Yeah. It's going to continue to help us lower the cost, to amplify the marketing reach of every of every health worker, um, and put more powerful tools in, in their hands. Um, and so, building on that technology platform, I, I think is uh, is also a key piece uh, going forward. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I uh, I, I love the power of uh, how technology is enhancing the opportunity for groups like yourself to to do more good, basically. Um, so that's really cool. Um, well, I want to be respectful of your time, so we are coming up to the end of the uh, interview. Um, and I guess one of the last things I wanted to just find out here is um, if if you were going to start over knowing what you know now would you do anything differently uh wow um <laughs> it's always a tough one yeah um <clears throat> you know uh i really have become a believer in the in the importance of of engineering your organization to learn quickly and that's always been, uh, I think, part of our vision. It really didn't become a core guiding philosophy until until a few years in. Um, and I think we're good at it, but I think we could be twice as good as we are. Okay. So taking steps to just, you know organize, design how our organization works and how we use technology to increase the speed with which we, you know, we can test new ideas. Sure. We like to say that. You know, we, that want to empower people to come up with ideas that have potential to be transformative in our profitability or our impact, but that we can learn from quick and cheap. Yeah. Um, we're not so interested in ideas that are transformative, but that take three years to get an answer on. <laughs> right, right, right. No, that makes sense. And I think more slavish to that idea, I think, would have helped us move faster. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Um, and. The other thing, and this will sound maybe a little bit alien to your audience, but 
in the, if you're working in the social sector in, in, in healthcare or in education, I think we were a little late to, to figuring out how important it was to collaborate with government. Mm. Um, we saw it as sort of the problem in the beginning, and I think government is a problem, but they also... <laughs> They also have to be part of the solution, and I think our job is to bring tools, you know, uh, models and tools that help government do better. Um, yeah, yeah. And so take government partnership to the next level, I think it's something we could have uh, um, attacked more aggressively earlier in our history. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I see a lot of people looking at government as a roadblock, but um, I think it's smart to look, try to flip that perspective and try to see how you can use it to your advantage, basically, and you're going to have to learn to work with it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, listen, I want to give you a chance just to let people know how they can uh, find you guys and learn more, connect with you. Uh, if you want to give a shout to you know your website and anything else that you have going on or upcoming, um, this would be a good opportunity for you to do that. Yeah. So uh, for anyone who's interested in learning more about Living Goods, of course, you can find us online at livinggoods.org. Um, if you're interested in supporting us, there's a donation page. Um, and if you're interested in investing in the future of living goods in a substantial way, um, yeah, you can reach me directly. I'm at cslaughter at livinggoods.org. Perfect, Chuck. Um, this is a great conversation. I really love what you guys are doing, and I hope it inspires a lot of people who are hearing this uh, to do good with the businesses that they uh, operate. So uh, if you ever need anything else from me, you know how to reach me, and uh, we'll stay in touch. So thanks again. Likewise. Best of luck. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the Change Creator Revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play. Or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.